So Jesus, ask you that you would help us to hear those words and apply those words to our lives hour by hour, day by day. We ask this in your name, Lord. Amen. Well, good to see all you guys. Happy Palm Sunday. Glad to have you all with us. I'm going to start with kind of a survey, kind of a show of hands. As you look at the week ahead, all the stuff that's on your calendar, all the stuff you've got to do this week, what kind of week are you anticipating this week? Like, for instance, how many of you anticipate this is going to be one of the best weeks of the year? This is going to be an awesome week, great week. How many of you? All right, a couple of you. Good, good. Yay for you. Um, how, how many of you, you look ahead what you got on the calendar, how many of you like just dread this week? It's just, ah, oh, it's going to be horrible. How many? Oh, there's some of you too. Okay, we'll pray for you. Okay. We'll pray for you. How many of you expect just a normal week? Just kind of a normal week. Okay. Most of you. Well, this is the beginning of Holy Week as we journey in to Easter. And that word holy has some weird connotations, right? Like, Sounds like holier than thou or kind of self-righteous. That's not what holy means. Holy originally meant extraordinary, amazing, set apart, filled with the power, presence, and joy of God. So Holy Week would be a week that is an amazing, non-ordinary, awesome week. And this is the last sermon in a series we're doing on the things that Jesus chose to do with the last week of his life. Interesting things that he chose. Things like he ate with a bunch of misfits. He avoided a political argument. He told religious leaders they were going to hell. I bet that's on some of your bucket lists, isn't it? You're like, oh, that one, I got that one, right? And at the start of the week, Palm Sunday, which we celebrate today, at the very beginning, the first thing Jesus does in this week is he borrows a donkey. And throughout this entire sermon series, kind of the PowerPoint background has been the donkey. And some of you have been like, what's up with the donkey? Like, what is that? So a few of you have asked, so like in this election season, is that a subliminal political message? <laughs> no, no, right? No, we talked about that a couple weeks ago. Jesus neither Democrat nor Republican. It's just sometimes we don't think it out, how it's going to kind of look when we put it up on the screen or print it in the bulletin. Like a, a, couple, a couple months ago, I gave a sermon titled From Bad to Worse, but I didn't think about how that would look when it was printed in the bulletin where it says sermon, colon, from bad to worse. <laughs> but over the last couple of weeks, I've sort of become attached to this, this little guy. Because right? donkeys are kind of an interesting kind of metaphor. They're small, they're smelly, they're stubborn, they're noisy, sort of like some people. But if Jesus can make something holy and amazing out of a donkey... Well, then what can he do with your life? What can he do with my life? What can he do with this week, this week, your week that's coming up? The fact that Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a donkey shows his radically different counterculture priorities that can give us radically different counterculture, bigger, non-ordinary week this week. For starters, the donkey shows that Jesus works in the excruciating minutia of our lives. You know, the gospel writers are always very spare. They don't spend a lot of time on description or anything like that, straight to the action. But here, Matthew spends six whole verses just on the logistics of getting the donkey. Over half the story. Now, part of that is it's a fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy that the Messiah would come on a donkey. But it also shows that God is at work even the littlest things of our lives. I mean, this is the equivalent of arriving at an airport and going to the rental car counter to rent a car. I mean, that's basically what's going on here. Right? So let me ask this question. How are you at experiencing the power, presence, and joy of God at the rental car counter? <laughs> like how many of you, that's a spiritual experience for you? 
Right? Because a lot of life is spent at the rental car counter. Right? It's, it's, it's spent in traffic or in, in a work day or standing in line. Right? And if this is going to be a holy, amazing, non-ordinary week, we're going to have to look for God in those ordinary little moments. One of the biggest lessons I learned about this was when we were still in California, where I was a college pastor. And one Christmas, my family and I flew up here for, to see my parents. And while we were driving our rental car in eastern Washington, we hit a deer. And it was very traumatic. My oldest daughter was about three at the time, and it kind of it scared her. And she hit the deer, and she goes, what was that? And she was very scared, right? But Christine and I were focused on the car, so poor Holly had to self-parent, as she so often has had to do. And so she's just kind of in the back seat, and she goes, it's okay, Holly. It's Rudolph. He flew up into the sky. Right? Yes, and we're having venison for dinner, right? Well, the car was repairable, so the insurance paid to have it repaired, but then the rental car company totaled the car anyway after they'd collected the money to repair it. And then they charged us $5,000 extra to pay for the totaled car. So they double-dipped. So we tried a couple of nice phone calls to clear this up, and then I lost my temper. And I still remember what I said to this poor woman on the other end of the phone. I said, you are double dipping. We have paid both to repair and then total that car. So the way I figure it, by now I own that car. So I want in my possession a two-door Kia sedan that has been hit by a deer 10 miles due east of Prescott, Washington. (laughs) And then I ended by saying, you're a terrible company. I hope you go out of business. Ooh. This was a very long time ago, (laughs) safely in the past. And the woman on the other end of the said, sir, sir, if you just calm down, I'll see what I can do. Let me get some information from you. She starts asking a bunch of questions. You know, what's your name? Where did you rent the car? Your occupation? (laughs) I'm a lawyer who sues rental car companies. (laughs) And then that night, my wife said, you know, and there was a tone. And I said, you're not going to give me the Jesus lecture. And she said, yeah, I mean, do we believe that God can take care of us or what? And then that night I kind of felt the Holy Spirit nudge me and go, Scott, is this who you want to be? Because, you know, I can make you better. And next morning I was writing a sermon on not being obsessed about money. And so I'm like, okay, I get it. Called the rental car company. Took forever to find the exact woman that I'd yelled at the day before. Finally did. And I said, I was so disrespectful to you yesterday. And And I did not show you Jesus. You know I'm a pastor. I did not show you Jesus. Will you forgive me? And she did, and I let go of the anger, and we never had to pay, you know, the extra money and all of that. And it felt good and right and holy in that moment, like God was there, even in the minutiae, even in the hassles of life, even in the hassles of life, there's holiness. And I experienced God. Do you believe that God can show up at the rental car counter? or the donkey counter, or in in the line, or, or wherever, if we just keep praying, Jesus, give me eyes to see what you're doing right here in this moment, in the in the checkout line, in the traffic, in this conversation, give me eyes to see. Elizabeth Barrett Browning wrote, Earth is heaven crammed and every common bush of fire with God. He's everywhere in everything. There's a guy in our church, he's in his 30s, and I, I, I told you about him a couple years ago. Uh, he worked at Boeing until recently and just felt like a cog in a giant machine. In fact, at one point, he drew a picture of his entire office, which has hundreds of cubicles, and then he, and then he circled the one that's his, and he said, you are here. <laughs> kind of depressing. So I told him every morning, as you drive into work, just pray this. Ask Jesus, what game do you want to play with me today? 
And one day the word risk popped into his head. So he went through the day looking for a chance to risk. And he was on the phone with a co-worker uh, who's in another building ordering parts and just felt God nudge him, ask her about her day. So he said, how's your day going? And she said, ah, not very well. In fact, I'm going to go home after this call. Then God nudged him again, and he remembered he'd been at her desk a week earlier. And he said, when I was at your desk last week, I saw a picture of a, of a young man about my age. Is that your son? And the woman said, yes. And today is the one-year anniversary of his death, which is why it's not a good day. So he started to comfort her and say, man, I, that's got to be so hard, and I've lost people, and talked. And then toward the end of the conversation, he said, I just want you to know, I felt led to ask you those questions. In other words, I know you feel like you are just a cog in a giant machine, and no one cares that you just lost, you lost your son a year ago, but God sees you, and God remembers you, and God sent me. And for him, it was a huge boost. Like it was, suddenly, that's not an ordinary day, right? Because here the creator of the universe say, one of my daughters is hurting and you, 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 I'm picking you to go heal the hurt. Not ordinary. God's in everything. J.K. Rowling, J.K. Rowling got the idea for the Harry Potter series while stuck on a train that was delayed by four hours. What would you do with a four-hour delay? I would cuss. But Rowling invented the most successful literary series in all of history, which begs the question, what if the train had been on time? See, it's about having a redemptive imagination to see what God is doing even in the excruciating minutia of life. And this is not an obligation. This isn't you should and you better and you have to and you should. It's an invitation because when we participate with what God is doing, it is not minutia anymore and life gets bigger. Step two to a non-ordinary Holy Week, is to trust that God doesn't need much to do much. Jesus here is satirizing Roman triumphal entries. Whenever a general would conquer a city, he'd always enter it in this huge parade. He'd be at the head of the parade, and behind him would be his captives and his troops and all the plunder and all of that, and he would always ride in on a big horse, usually white. It's called a triumph. But Jesus rides on a donkey. And not just a donkey, a baby donkey. And it's not even his donkey. He had to borrow the donkey. Like, who does this? Who, you know, in plays and stories, it's, it's, it's always the, the, the comic relief that rides the donkey, not, not, not the hero. Right? I mean, this would be like if one of the presidential candidates rode into the convention on a unicycle, which, given this year, just might happen. <laughs> and it'd be an improvement. Jesus was born in a borrowed stable, laid in a borrowed manger, rode into the city on a borrowed donkey, ate his final meal in a borrowed room, was crucified on a borrowed cross, and buried in a borrowed tomb. Why? To involve us. He borrows so that we can be part of it. And when we give God a little, he can do a lot. Moses surrenders his shepherd's staff. God uses it to part the Red Sea. David gives God his slingshot. God uses it to kill a giant. Some guy in this story on Palm Sunday gives up his donkey for a day. And as the crowds are waving, cheering, Hosanna in the highest, Jesus is riding in, all this excitement, that guy got to stand there and go, see that? That's my donkey. My, my donkey. My donkey. The text says that after the disciples go into the city and they're trying to, they find this random donkey, right? And it says, as they were untying the colt, its owner asked, why are you untying the colt? Good question. If someone got in your car and tried to drive away, uh, you know, why, what, what's going on here, right? And they replied, the Lord needs it. The Lord needs it. 
Now, back then, rabbis often borrowed things from people, so this was kind of standard, but that's a deeper thing there, too. The Lord needs what you have. Yes, he's God. He could do it without us, but he wants to do it through us so that we get to be part of the making new of all things because that's good for us. And you may go, well, yeah, but all I got is a donkey. Like, I don't have a horse. I just got a donkey, a small, stubborn, smelly little animal. Jesus can use your donkey. Okay? The guy who worked at Boeing in cubicle 937 or whatever it was, just a donkey, just a cubicle, but it became the holy of holies when he responded to that nudge to comfort that hurting woman. And I believe we are getting those nudges way more than we think we are if we will just open our eyes and pay attention. So what is your donkey? Maybe it's your job. Maybe you coach Little League or something like that. Maybe it's a conversation as you're standing in line at the store. Even a weakness that God can use in the same way a former alcoholic can help another alcoholic. Right? The Lord needs it. The Lord has need of it. He can use it. So the bottom line is this. Get off your donkey. And yes, there is a bad pun lurking just under the surface of that comment. Get off your donkey. Which brings me to step three toward a non-ordinary week, and that is sometimes you need a little crazy in your life. You know, what Jesus does here, it makes no sense at all. No sense. What kind of Messiah rides into town on a donkey instead of a horse? And, and even, you know, like if I only had five days to live, if I only had five days to live, I'm borrowing the Lamborghini, not the Corolla. <laughs> but the disciples go, they obey, they bring the donkey to him, even, if it seemed, even though it's crazy. And then in this story, the crowd shouts, Hosanna to the son of David. Son of David is a euphemism for the Messiah that they were expecting, who they thought was coming to kick out the occupying Roman army and give them a great military victory. So Jesus here is forcing the issue. He is saying, yes, I'm a king. I'm a different kind of king, but I am a king, and you have only two choices, crown me or kill me. Make me your Lord or utterly reject me, but I will not be liked. The worst thing we can do to Jesus is to tame him, water him down with our nice, respectable, middle-class, churchy-churchianity. His values are radically upside down. And he sometimes tells us to do things that seem crazy. But when we obey, risk for his sake, we get a bigger counterculture life. And we can start by just doing what he says to do in Scripture. You know, give, forgive, serve, that sort of thing. And then when we get those nudges after we've tested them against Scripture to make sure that they're from God... Do them, even if they see, seem crazy. See, we can't say to Jesus, you know, I'll go to church on Sunday, but man, you know, the rest of the week, that's my business, God, right? You can't say that. You, you, we can't say to Jesus, you can have my worship, but not my week. You can have my praises, but not my passion. You can, you can have my hallelujahs, but not my attitude. You can have my devotion, but not my dollars. He's either Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. My wife reads a lot of books, and then she acts on them, does what they say. So, for instance, when she read some books on nutrition, suddenly we're all eating kale, which is awesome. Um, she reads some books on the environment, and suddenly we're the recycling champions. Like, we recycle our recycling. Right? She just does what the book says. So the other day she was talking about a book she was reading called The Demise of Parenting, about how overly lenient parenting is wrecking our kids. And she's describing this, and my son's face just fell. And I said, oh, I hate it when you read books. <laughs> we can have a non-ordinary, God can give us a non-ordinary week this week if we're just like my wife in the books, do what he says, even if it's counterculture. I got an email from a woman in our church, I'll call Penny, 
And several years ago here at church, God nudged her to go over to a man who was praying in a pew and say something. But she didn't say what to say. God just said, go over there and say something to him, right? So, and she knew it was from God because she wouldn't make that up. You know, that kind of thing doesn't get made up in a Presbyterian church, right? And, 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 but so she fought, fought the nudge, but it just wouldn't go away. So finally she went over, still not knowing what she was going to say. Okay, does this make sense? Is this rational? Is this Presbyterian? No, but she did it anyway, like some kind of freaking Baptist or something. It just goes over to him, and right when she gets there, she realizes God says to her, tell him I'm hearing his prayers. So she said, God, here's your prayers. And then she never saw that guy again, right, leaving her to wonder, did I chase him out of the church? Or like, well, fast forward a couple of years, years later, to last November, a woman came up to Penny and said, I have something to tell you. And it turns out she was the wife of the man that Penny had told years ago that God was hearing his prayers. And it turns out that he had just, and when she said that, Penny said that, he had just, this man had just told his Bible study that he felt abandoned by God and didn't think God was listening to him. So it was the perfect word at the exact perfect moment. And this woman said they'd never seen God work like that before. They've told that story over and over again to people who need encouragement. She said, you know, we moved away for a couple of years, but we're back in the area and we're coming to church here again. Penny said, my theory is do what God tells you and leave the rest up to him. Now, for this guy, that was huge, right? He's sitting there going, God doesn't hear me. God, and then he just tells his Bible study, and then someone comes along randomly and says, God, here's your prayer. He felt like God was there. For this man, it was huge. And for Penny, she got to see God work. And again, this isn't about should or have to or ought. It's an invitation. For a holy, non-ordinary week this week, find Jesus in the minutia of life. Trust that he doesn't need much to do much and do what he says, even if it's hard and even if it seems crazy. And then finally, last thing, expect an unusual salvation. When the crowd chants, Hosanna in the highest, Hosanna means to save. Hosanna in the highest could be translated, give us an unusual salvation, the highest salvation. Now, what they wanted by salvation was they wanted Jesus to kick out the Romans. But Jesus gives them a different salvation. Jesus basically says, what if I did deliver you from the Romans? You just turn around and oppress someone else. If I fight force with force, that leads to a net increase in force and nothing else. If I kick out the Romans, what are you going to do about your real fear, which is death? It'll still be there. So I'm going to die to pay the price for your sins, rise again to show you that you are loved more than you ever dared imagine. And when you trust that, really trust that, you're not going to have to strive and achieve to prove yourself worthy. You won't trample over people to get ahead because you'll have security in yourself. And when you trust that Jesus conquered even death, you're going to be really brave because you know that not even death can stop you. Not what they wanted. So much more. That's the point of this whole sermon series, Jesus' bucket list. His priorities are radically different than ours, but lead to a radically different, bigger, counterculture life. So let me just ask, like, do you look at your life and, you look at your life and go, do you ever feel like a donkey? You are like, man, I'm just a donkey. Right? Have you ever made a donkey of yourself? Yeah. <laughs> do you wish life had turned out different in some respects? Here's what's beautiful about this story. Jesus makes the donkey holy. And what gives the donkey its value, what overrides all the mistakes, all the bad luck, is the living God and the person of Jesus in his hour of triumph chose the donkey. So if you feel like a donkey, know this, you are a donkey deemed worthy of carrying God himself into the world. And when you do that, it becomes a non-ordinary, amazing week. So here's your homework, just one piece of homework this week. 
Every morning, get up and pray this prayer. Jesus, help me see what you are doing in my home, in my school, in my office, in my neighborhood. Help me see what you're doing. Help me see the possibilities and help me be part of what you're doing in the world. I recently, I'll close with this. I recently read a news story about a guy named Julio in New York and has a very ordinary routine. Every night, he ends his hour-long subway commute one stop early so that he can eat at his favorite diner every single night. But one night, Julio got off the subway, and a teenage kid walked up to him with a knife and wanted his wallet, so Julio gave it to him. And the teenager kind of walked away, and then Julio said, hey, wait a minute, you forgot something. If you're going to be robbing people for the rest of the night, you might want to take my coat so that you can be warm. Isn't there a verse somewhere in the Bible where Jesus says, if someone asks your shirt, give them your coat? And the teenager just looked stunned. It was like, what? I, what? what are you, why are you doing this? What's going on? Right? Julio said, look, if you're willing to risk your freedom for a few dollars, I figure you must really need the money. And you know what? I was just on my way to get some dinner. And, you know, if you want, you can, you can join me. Now, I'm guessing in that moment, Julio kind of sensed that this kid actually wasn't violent, meant really no real harm. That's my guess. So they went to Julio's favorite diner, and the manager and the, the, the dishwashers, the waiters all come by to say hi. And the teenager goes, well, like, are you some kind of, like, did you own this place? You know everybody. And Julio said, no, I just come here every single night. And the kid goes, well, but, but you're nice to everyone, even the dishwashers. I, I know you're supposed to do that. I just didn't know if anyone actually did do that. And then Julio said... What is it you really want out of life? And the kid just couldn't answer. He kind of looked sad, and he couldn't answer. And they sat there in silence for a while. And right about then, the waiter dropped off the bill. And Julio looked at it, and he said, well, you're going to have to pay because I don't have my wallet. (laughs) You do. But if you give it back, I'll treat you. Kid handed it right over. Didn't even think about it. Julio gave him a $20 bill to help him out. And he said, I just want one thing in return. Your knife. And the kid, no problem, just handed it back. Afterward, Julio told his mom all about it, which I would not recommend. No mom wants to hear that story, right? (laughs) And she said, honestly, if someone asked you for the time, you'd give them your watch. You mean like Jesus would. Now, if you're like me, you have two responses to a story like that. The first one is, oh, how foolish, how dangerous, I wouldn't know, that's not a bad idea. The second is, how cool. Certainly not ordinary. Right? Now, and it didn't change this kid's life instantly, you know, but it did make him feel loved, and he did give back the knife, and maybe that's a start. And yes, we should be aware of safety, and no, you wouldn't want to do that in every situation because some of them might be dangerous and blah, blah, Bellevueized, sanitized, Presbyterianized, the sermon illustration. Make it safer. All of that is true. All of that is true. And yet, I'm just guessing, most of us in this room are in no danger of taking too many risks for Jesus, myself included. But when Julio did the very crazy thing that Jesus says to do, and the minutia of life, a subway ride, suddenly becomes bigger than life, and it was an unusual and unwanted salvation, and it wasn't much, just an ordinary robbery, happens all the time. But Julio had eyes to see the holy thing that could come from that ordinary moment. Now, you're probably not going to get robbed this week. At least I hope you don't. But maybe like the guy at Boeing or Penny who responded to a nudge to comfort someone, there's something, if you keep praying and looking, something that can give you a very extraordinary holy week this week. Because you see, 2,000 years ago, in a dusty town no bigger than Fife or Cedro Woolley, in the backwater armpit of the Roman Empire, Hope rode in on a donkey. And that is not how you expect Hope 
to arrive, which makes it all the more hopeful because it proves that hope shows up in the most unexpected places, in the most unexpected ways. And if Jesus can do that with a donkey, well, what can he do with you and me? And what can he do with your week, this week? Let's give it a try. Let's see what he does. Jesus, thank you that you are in the ordinary and you are in the extraordinary. Thank you that you are in the hassles of life. You are in the problems of life. You are there when we're in line. You are there when we're arguing with our spouse or a coworker or a friend. You are there when we're filling out a form. You are there when we are at our computer. In every moment, Jesus, you are there. Give us eyes to see. Eyes to see where you are and what you're doing so that we can be on board and be part of it and see your holiness this week. Thank you that you love us. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.